Amen. You may be seated. Well, we're in a series entitled Six Things No Kids Should Leave Home Without. And uh, we've talked about such things as character, a teachable spirit, a vision, communication skills. Last week we talked about generous stewardship. Today we're going to talk about, are you ready? A biblical work ethic. A biblical work ethic. Now, you need to pray that I don't just take off on a rant in, in this thing right here. Because there's a lot in our culture that does everything but have a biblical work ethic. Well, the first time I could remember the concept of work academically explained to me was when I was in high school in a physical science class. In physics, a force is said to do work when it acts on a body so that there is displacement of a point of application, however small, in the direction of the force. So then I learned that there were mathematical equations for this thing called work, the the output of energy, of force. And when I saw these things thrown on the board, I realized that that moment in time that I was going to have to work real hard to make it out of this class, you know? Work. We live in a culture where the concept of work is not easily understood. Because almost in our culture, almost everyone feels that they're owed something. That they're due something. That they're entitled something simply because they're your child or they're your employee. Or because they don't have to work because God will provide. We live in a culture where the concept of work is not clearly or easily embraced. So let's get a working definition of work, can we? A working definition of work is it's an activity involving mental or physical effort or energy done in order to achieve a purpose or result. Can we all agree that that's work? It's an activity involving mental or physical effort, energy done in order to achieve specific results. Well, now the Bible has a lot to say about work. It really does. Matter of fact, I'm just going to go to one book in the Bible to prove my point. That the Bible has much to say about work. Matter of fact, our first introduction to God in the book of Genesis is that he is a God who, in the beginning, God, in the beginning, God was working. He created an activity involving mental and physical effort and energy done in order to achieve a purpose and result. This. All right? So I want to go to the wisest guy that ever lived outside of Jesus Christ. His name is Solomon. Solomon was a son of David who was king of Israel. Solomon himself was even king of Israel. And he was, he prayed for wisdom, asked God for wisdom. And so here's what this wise man said about work. In Proverbs, a hard worker, and by the way, I hope you write these verses down. They're going to come up on the screen, and we're just going to kind of give them to you rapid fire, all right? First of all, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6 says that, you know, a hard worker doesn't need someone to make him work. In other words, a hard worker takes initiative. And don't sit back and go, oh, duh, what I need to do now, what I need to do next. They just work. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Now, by the way, the word sluggard means... Everybody say it with me. Lazy. No, no. Lazy. Now, you got to have a lazy in there, all right? 
man, you are lazy. If you're a sluggard. Matter of fact, when Solomon would describe somebody as a sluggard, that was not a term of endearment. All right? That was not good. So he says, go to the ant, you sluggard, you lazy person. You low down, do nothing, slothful, sluggardy, lazy person. Consider the ways of the ants and be wise. He has no commanders and no overseers. Verse 8 would go on to say that uh, yet he stores the provisions in the summer and gathers his food for the harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep and a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest and poverty will come to you like a bandit and scarcity like an armed man. Wow. If that was just it on this whole thing of work. But he goes on. At verses, uh, verse 10 and 4 says that Lazy hands make a man poor, but the diligent, the hardworking, brings wealth. And then it's not, he's not too proud to get his hands dirty. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 9. Better to be a nobody and yet have a servant than to pretend to be a somebody and have no food. You know, some people just kind of act like all that and they got nothing. And he's saying, uh-uh, get your hands dirty. Get down and, and, and work. Proverbs chapter uh, 16 and verse 26. Says a hard worker doesn't go hungry. He says the laborer's appetite works for him. In other words, it drives him, it motivates him. And the hunger drives him on. Verse chapter 20 and verse 4 says, works even when conditions are bad. The slugger does not plow in the season. Now you got to ask the question, why isn't the lazy guy plowing? Well, maybe it's too hot, maybe it's too windy, maybe it's rainy, maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Do you realize it is never a perfect time to do anything? Amen? It is never a perfect time. Has anybody ever just sat around the house going, oh, this would be a great moment if I got some bad news? It is never a good time. But the sluggard doesn't plow. I mean, he just keeps making excuses when the conditions are bad. Well, I can't. He's just kind of excuse-oriented. Matter of fact, the hard worker will work steadily. Look at chapter 1, 21 and verse 4. It, it talks about in terms of a diligent man. Chapter 21, I'm sorry, chapter 21 and verse 5. That he works steadily. And it says this. The plans of the diligent, the hard worker, lead to profit. As sure as haste leads to poverty. In other words, you plan out and then you work your plan. is much better than having no plan at all. And so he tells us to, to work. Chapter 31 and verse 17. It's talking about the Proverbs 31 woman. But tells us that this person, she is set about her work vigorously. She is a hard worker. Her arms are strong for the task. I mean, she's got some guns on those arms because she's a vigorous worker. Drop down to chapter or chapter 31 again. Look at verse 27. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She manages this not one thing but all things. This woman is a hard working lady. There are several other verses that I didn't even mention. This is just an overview of what Proverbs says as a hard-working man's like. But if you flip it, if, if, if you flip it 
to understand what a lazy person is like. You already heard the phrase sluggard a few times. Look at chapter 6 and verse 9. A sluggard, a lazy person. How do you know you're, you're a lazy person? You sleep your life away. Look at verse 9. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? How long are you going to stay on the wet couch? How many times are you going to watch Sports Center? Amen? I know, I'm getting meddling now, aren't I? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of hands to rest. And you know what happens? Because you're a lazy person, poverty comes. Chapter 6 and verse 11 tells us we're destroyed by poverty. Chapter 10 and verse 26 says that if you are a lazy person, man, you are a pain to your employer and to everybody that has to work with you. Amen? As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is a sluggard to those who send him. Man. You say, everybody just loves me. I don't do anything. People just love me. I don't mess anything up. No, you're ticking the rest of us off. Get to work. They rarely succeed. Chapter 12 and verse 24. Look at what Proverbs tells us. What Solomon in his wisdom says. Diligent hands will rule. But laziness ends in slave labor. In other words, you are always under the authority of someone else. Chapter 13 and verse 4 says you want a lot, but you get little when you're a lazy person. The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent, the hard worker, are fully satisfied. It's your choice. Are you going to be a hard worker? Are you going to be a lazy person? It's great. Chapter 15 and verse 19 talks about how we have how a, a lazy person is going to have trouble all through life. It says the way of the sluggard, the way of the lazy person is blocked with thorns. Well, now that's a happy little trail to go down, isn't it? Blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. Vroom. I mean, that's like going 85 miles an hour going, going down I-75. I know the speed limit's 70, and I know y'all go 85, so we'll just say it. The way the sluggard is blocked with thorns, it's just a lifetime. Chapter 21 and verses 25 and 26, he said he's more eager to get than to give. The sluggard's cravings will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. And all day long he craves for more, but the righteousness give without sparing. The hardworking, the righteous, they give without sparing. And they're always, they always have an excuse. Chapter 22 and verse 13 says this. The sluggards say, I can't go out and work because, oh my goodness, there's a lion outside. Or, oh my goodness, I'll be murdered in the streets. No people want to kill you, but they're not going to kill you. Do you get the idea? This person's got an excuse for everything. Well, why I can't do this and why I can't do that. And blah, 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 blah. There's a lion outside. I just can't. It's a sign of a lazy person. By the way, chapter 26 and verse 16, and I'll just kind of wrap it up with this. A lazy person thinks that they're smarter than they really are. Have you ever noticed that? They think that they're smarter than they really are. The sluggard, the lazy person, is wiser in his own mind than, or in his own eyes than seven men who answer discreetly or who have wisdom. I, I'm, I'm telling you, when you have a biblical concept of work and you set it and you compare it and contrast it against this thing of, of laziness, man, 
you make a clear choice that you want to teach your children how to work. And that's so important. And so, let me give you three things quickly to look at about where you have to work. Number one, you got to work at your work. you got to work at your work. Now, God is a creative working God. He's always creating. He's always working. God is always doing something. God is never stagnant. God is never idle. God never sleeps, nor does he slumber. God is always active and working. You and I have to work at our work. One of my sons, I will not tell you which one, got a seasonal job years ago at a department store. Got a seasonal job. He was a temporary worker for the Christmas season. It was his first job. I was proud. And, uh, and so he would go in and work. We'd come back and he'd talk about it. And, and, kind of thing. and I knew his schedule. And one day I came home and my son was home as well. And I just looked at my son and he looked at me and he was happy and I was getting a little annoyed because I knew my you know how fathers kind of do that little thing and I knew he was supposed to be at work but he wasn't at work and so I, I just kind of asked him Ben I, well alright <laughs> I did not mean to do that alright I promise Ben if you listen to this on the internet I love you buddy okay but he looked at me and he sa- I said, are you okay? He said, yeah, I feel good. Anything wrong? No, sir. I said, why aren't you at work? He said, well, I just didn't feel like going in today. I said, you didn't feel like going in today? I kicked into my father's tone of voice. I said, you didn't, what do you mean you didn't feel, Ben, you are work, they, it's on their schedule, you are supposed to, no, Dad, he said, when they hired me, they told me that, that they were glad to have me, and that anything that I could do to, to, anything that they could do to make it more better for me, just let know, because I was a seasonal, temporary worker, and I clearly understood in that moment in time that my son understood the word seasonal to be an optional, And I said, no, son, work is not an option here. I said, see, the reason they hire you and pay minimum wage is because they think and they know that they can make more money off of you by being there a few hours than they can without you being there. It's not about you making you happy. It's about making stockholders happy at the end of their quarterly cycle. I said, it is not about you. I said, if you want to call off work and stay home, you have to own the business. But son, until you own the business, your business is to go to work. He says, well, dad, I don't get paid much. And I looked at my son with all the love in my heart, and I said, well, just exactly what can you do of work, merit, or value at your age? Listen, I'm telling you, my son, who is a hard-working kid, he understands hard work. My problem was that he didn't understand employment. He does now, but he didn't then. We had a little conference, got it all worked out. So you have to work at your work. Biblically, let me give you three things. First of all, your work matters to God. 
I don't care where you work, your work matters to God. Whether it's in school, whether it's in college, whether it's Ford, Chrysler, GM, Henry Ford, doesn't matter, a hospital, it doesn't matter where it is, your work matters to God. Secondly, God, your work is part of your mission and your mission field. It is not by accident or happen chance that you are where you are. God has got this intricate, incredible plan that I can't even remotely begin to understand. And it's part of your mission. And it's part of your mission field. There are people you come in contact that you would never have come in contact with in, in any other realm or circle or network except that you work with them. you got a mission field. Now, I do believe that when you're at work, you do have to work, but I'm just simply saying that you do have opportunity to network, build relationships, and then to extend invitations to come and, and be a part of what's going on here at Kirby Church. The last thing I want you to understand is that God receives glory from your work. Listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Now, it's in the context of their culture, which was a... Um, which was a, a master-slave kind of culture. I, I want you to just think in terms of employer-employee, all right? Employee, obey your employers with respect and fear and sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. You know, the supervisor, the boss, the team leader comes down and all of a sudden everybody gets busy. He said, uh-uh, you're not like that. You're working, you're diligent, you're a hard worker. Whether the boss is looking at you or not, you're producing. You are doing what is expected of you because what you are doing isn't for that guy, it is for that guy. Because your work matters to God. God doesn't check out of your life just because you punch in at eight and punch out at nine, uh, five. Or punch in at six and out at three, whatever how many hours you work. He says in verse seven, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is saved, slave, or free. Man, it's pretty powerful stuff. Your work matters to God. Well, the second area you need to work on is your marriage, your home. Now, the home includes parenting and marriage. And marriage takes work. Amen? How many of you married the perfect man and the perfect woman, and you still have to work at your marriage? Can you just throw out an amen right there? I'm telling you. I love it when I counsel premarital counseling, and these couples come to me, and they just are so goo-goo-gaga, and they are just oozing with love, and they just love one another, and they are so clueless. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They are clueless. What's it going to take to make your work, marriage work? Love. <laughs> What's it going to take to make your work? Oh, it's, it's just going to take understanding. <laughs> you know what it takes to make marriage work? Those of you who've been married 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you know what it takes to make marriage work. Every day you roll up your sleeves in your home and you go to work pouring into that marriage, pouring into your partner, pouring into your children, and that is loaded with hard work, isn't it? 
By the way, you say, man, you're making marriage sound tough. I don't want to work that hard. There's a word for it. Single. <laughs> By the way, moms and dads, if your little honey, your little son, your little daughter is dating a person that you know is just a lazy sluggard, tell your daughter or your son to run as far as the east is from the west. I'm lying. Marriage is hard work. Matter of fact, let me, t- let me just read you the hard work chapter or portion of the Bible. Ladies, this is for you. Amen. If this is hard work. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. No, no. You, you can amen louder than that. I mean, I, I know that was the Christian. Amen. But I mean, if you find that your husband just sometimes is a little, I'm going to say a little over the top, a little over the edge, and you just don't quite get it, but you want to honor him anyway, and everything inside of you when he makes that suggestion wants to scream out, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But you go, yes, honey, let's talk about it. That's hard work, isn't it? So wives, is this hard work? Submit yourselves, submit to your husband as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body for which he is Savior. Now I know the guys want to amen there. But guys, let me just remind you, if you're the head, your wife's the neck, and you ain't going nowhere without the neck. Amen, ladies? And by the way, it's the neck that works hard to carry the head, I'm just saying. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so should, or so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And the wives say, that's hard work. Oh, but guys, we have hard work too. Husbands, love your wives. Whoever thought that God in his word would have to tell us men to love our wives. In fact, it's three times in this passage. Love your wives, love your wives, love your wives. And it's like, God, are we stupid? And God goes, yes, you are. Love your wives. <laughs> because God, guys, just amen here. Hold your wife by the hand. Take her out to dinner. It's going to cost you something this week. I'm telling you right now, this amen, if you're honest, is going to cost you something this week. But guys, sometimes isn't it hard to love the one you love? Some of you are the biggest bunch of chickens. You guys, here's what I'm seeing. The guys are going, "Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, yep, mm mm-hmm. And then when it's the time to amen, they go, mm-hmm, Bunch of sorry people. By the way, guys, here's your job. To make her holy. That's hard work. Cleansing her by the water and the washing through the word. Just making sure your family is spiritually rooted, grounded. That's hard work. And to present her to himself as a radiant church. That's hard work. To present her without stain or wrinkle or without any blemish, but holy and blameless. That's hard work. In the same way the husbands ought to love his wives. There it is the second time. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hates his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it. 
Just as Christ says in church, for we are members of his body. For this reason shall a man leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. But this is a mystery. I'm not talking about husbands and wives. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And then he wraps it up in verse 33. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. I'm telling you, marriage is hard, hard work. And you got to work hard in the home. If you kick into autopilot, then sooner or later, your home is going to start on a downward cycle. You have to roll your sleeves up. Ladies, you have to honor your husband in a meaningful way that communicates honor to him. Men, you have to love your wives in a meaningful way that communicates love to her. But then you get children in the mix. And children are a wonderful heritage of the Lord. And all of our teenagers go, amen. Go ahead. That's a good thing. You're amen in that you're wonderful. Go ahead. Amen. Come on, help me out here. Amen. <laughs> They're looking at me like, I don't know what to do. And on Mother's Day and Father's Day, we go, oh, we are so blessed to have children. God love our children. We love our children. But the other 50 Sundays of the year, they go, I want to kill them. you got to work hard. By the way, have you read Ephesians chapter 6? Children, obey your parents and the Lord. That's hard work, isn't it? In other words, you're to obey your mom and dad just as you're to obey Jesus. That's hard work. My mom and dad are old, and, and I have my own home authority because Terry and I are married, and, and so I'm out from under their biblical authority, but I'm still under my authority. But I'm just telling you that obeying the Lord is hard work. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, the promise, that it may go well with you and you enjoy life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. By the way, have any of you had fathers that have exasperated you? Now, this is a good time not to amen. Because it will cost you something, I'm telling you. You amen here. Dad, you know, sometimes moms, we can be a little overbearing. We can just be a little over the, the top. And we're to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Man, we are to work hard at this thing of marriage and work hard at this thing of, of pastor. But I want to kind of tell you one other thing, one other area of your faith. And, and that's that your faith in Jesus Christ takes work. Your faith in Christ takes work. And you might as well amen there, because we, we all know that's true. That really wasn't much of a sneeze, but we'll say bless you. <laughs> Somebody's going to have to teach her how to sneeze, you know. Look at verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence... But how much more in my absence? Continue to work out your own salvation. The word there is um, ener energao, which is where we get our word energy, to work. He's not saying you work for salvation. He's saying because you're saved, the, the living in out day by day takes work. That inward commitment of the heart that you have to live out in flesh and blood every day takes work. To watch what you say, to control your temper, to have the right kind of attitude, takes work. 
writer of the book of Hebrews struggled to communicate on a deeper meaning and level because he said that his readers, his congregation, was spiritually lazy. They had quit working out their own salvation. I'm not talking about you making your way to the cross and you finding and you saving yourself If anybody gets saved, it is through Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. This is telling us what happens on the other side of the cross. That you and I have to work in, we have to live out our faith. And the living out of our faith is hard work. Amen? It is. Well, I know that it is. I pass through the church, and I'm telling you, it is for me. Because it is for you. I was talking to a, a guy over lunch, I don't know, about a month ago, and, and we were talking, and, and he was sharing his, some of his temptations and things, and he just looked at me, and he says, I, I wish I was like you. I said, you wish you were like me? And I said, why? And he said, well, you never face temptation. You're the preacher. I said, well, let's back up the bus here just a second, buddy. And if you want to know if I face temptation, ask my wife. Just ask me. Yeah. Do you? Do you, I, I never. You guys may think that I, I am perfect, and for the most part, I am. But I just want to let you know, I struggle, just like you do. And every day, I got to work at it. Every day, I got to dig in the Word, not because I preach on Sunday, but because I got to live out my faith that day. Every day I got to spend time in prayer. Not because I preach on Sunday, but because I got to live out my faith that day. Because I never know what the phone, who's going to dial up the phone, or who's going to walk in the office, or who I'm going to meet along the way. And I got to be ready and I got to work it out and things with my wife and my kids and, and extended family issues and stuff. And I mean, church and you. Man, I got to roll up my sleeves and say, God, I need your word, I need your presence, I need your power, I need your grace. I got to go at it every day. Why? Because I got to live it. It takes hard work, by the way, to make good ministry to happen in the church as well. By the way, let me just say this. The church has always been a volunteer-based, volunteer-driven Organization. Now, if God blesses a church, and he has certainly blessed ours, to where we have full-time staff, that's great, but they don't take the place of lay ministry. You understand that? I'm not some hired gun that you bring in to, you know, duel with the devil. We have a Western theme at camp coming up this week, so I'm kind of in that Western motif. But here's the idea, is that everyone serves, everyone works out their own salvation. Everyone has a place in the church, in the kingdom of God, where they minister. Because I'm telling you, you need to connect with God through worship. And man, if you couldn't connect with God in our service and our worship today, whew, that was good stuff. Then you have to grow in settings like church celebrations on, on, when, on the weekends as we look at God's word together. You have to grow in life groups and, and in smaller groups. And then you have to serve. And if the serving isn't there... And what happens a lot of times is we get people who overserve and they're not growing. And because they're not growing, they feel disconnected. And man, we're trying to fix that. And, and, and we just try to really institute this policy that you work one and you serve one. Even if your ministry goes in the tank without you there, you work one, you serve one. 
Because we're supposed to work out our own salvation. We're supposed to roll up our sleeves. We're supposed to go to work in fear and trembling. Now, by the way, I, I, I want you to know ministry is hard work. And those of you who serve in ministry around here, you might as well amen because ministry is hard work. Amen? It is. Trying to get people to show up. Trying to get people to volunteer. Trying to people to remember what they volunteered for to show up. I mean, it's, it's tough. You pour into people and they turn around and disappoint. It's tough. I, I, I want every teenager, and, and if you're a mom and a dad of a teenager, I, well, this is just kind of like for everybody. I, I just kind of want you to, I, I want you to help me out here. Moms and dads, I want you to help me out. Please. please I give you permission to do this. Okay, please. If I could get down and get back up again, I would beg you to do this. I'm not lying. Here's what I would beg you to do. Because ministry is tough work. What I do, it's hard, it's tiring, it's exhausting, there's no end. You get something kind of fixed and going and something else breaks down and something else goes and, and there's no end to the needs of the church. There's no end to the, to the end of the mission field that we're called to reach. There are more issues than, than there are of us to go around. So please help me here. If you're little Johnny or your little Susie, your little son or your little daughter that sleeps till noon, never takes any initiative or on their own to clean up the room around the house, to volunteer to help others, to serve here in the church when it's not their time to serve here at the church on their own. They sass back at you, they fuss at you, and they lay around the house all day playing video games, and they look at you one day and go, Mom, Dad, I believe God is calling me into the ministry. You go, Wonderful. You grab them by the hand. I don't care if it's three in the morning. You grab them by the hand and you bring them to my house. And there, Johnny, Susie, me, and Jesus will have a come to Jesus meeting. Because I'm telling you, I am tired of watching churches die on the vine because the pastor is just too lazy to do his work. And I want to tell you, I hope God calls every person in this section right here, which is our team group. And I'm telling you, I hope God calls every one of you in the ministry. And I want to tell you, it will be the most rewarding thing you'll ever do in your life. It'll be the greatest adventure that you'll ever be a part of in your life. It'll be the greatest thrill that you'll ever know. But it'll also be the hardest work you will ever do in your life. About 15 years ago, I read an article by... Uh, the top CEOs at that time, and they were just interviewing them, and it was just kind of a, like there were five of them or four of them in this kind of forum exchange where they were interviewing, and each one would kind of respond to the other. And that one question was asked is, what is the hardest organization to run? What is the hardest organization to run? And four out of the five, their number one answer was church. It was church. And the reasons were pretty simple, because the work is exhausting. You never know, and you never see that the work is entirely done. And then they said because if they own, and, and, and some of them were like Steve Jobs at Apple and stuff, if people didn't produce, he could fire them. I can't fire you. My job is to help restore you. My job is not to push you out, but my job is to help to bring you in. 
And I'm telling you, if you know already that you're a lazy youngin, and God, you think God's calling you to the ministry, you come and see me. I'll help you with that. I really will. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. In a week, our teens are going to be going to Spain. And we got to teach our kids how to work. Our teens are going to Spain, and they're good kids. 16 of them, I think, are going, and, and, and more, you know. We got other good kids beside those, but I'm telling you, many of them have worked hard, and I just kind of want to honor too. And Josh has kind of mentioned these over and over when I would just keep asking how kids are doing, how are they doing raising the money, how are they doing support, and I know there was a lot of people who worked hard, and there were some who, who wrote letters and people gave donations and, and that kind of thing, or Facebooked it, and I know that there were others who, uh, you, you, as moms and dads, you are, you are blessed with you know, the cash flow to just kind of subsidize that for them, and I, I appreciate that, but I'm telling you, there's something about teaching your children to work for it just to work for it. Maddie Brecky would, uh, would take pop bottles and, and just pop bottles and 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 pop bottles. She would go get them and people would bring them to her and, and she would take pop bottles and she funded a huge chunk of her trip just by this whole pop bottle thing of taking them, getting them and taking them to the store, getting them and taking them to the store, her and her mom, taking them to the store, her and her mom, taking them to the store. And that's how she paid for her trip, work. There's Corey Atkins, and Corey, when he realized he wanted to go on the mission trip, he went, yeah, isn't that great? Wouldn't you like to buy a burger from that guy, huh? <laughs> he got a job at McDonald's. Josh would tell me, Josh Smith, who's leading the trip to Spain, Josh would tell me that he would come to the bank every Friday or every other Friday on payday, and he'd bring his check, and he would deposit it in, his, in, in the accounts, and he would start making payments to the trip. I'm just saying that we as parents have to give our children a biblical understanding or a biblical work ethic where work is good. Jesus, God worked on the first day and at the end of it he said it's good. He worked on the second day and at the end he said it's good and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth day and it was good and Adam worked and it was good and Adam named the animals of the, of the fields and it was good. There's nothing wrong with work. You say, well, pastor, I just hate my job and I don't enjoy my job at all. And then find something you do enjoy and do it. Maybe you're here and you've not done any work on your spiritual soul. Maybe you're here and you just think you'll be all right in the end. That the good stuff you've done will outweigh the bad stuff you've done and that's not the way it works. You got to work. You got to do an activity involving mental and physical effort or energy done in order to achieve a purpose or result. You have to make an effort to give Christ your life because of his work for you on the cross. It is his work that offers you forgiveness of sin. It is his work that offers you an opportunity to be a part of something bigger than yourself. It is his work that offers you a new start in life. It is your life. If your life is messed up by sin, then give God a chance today. Invite him in. That's your work. 
Matter of fact, 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, that's your work. If we confess our sins, put forth the mental energy and the physical energy to say, God, I realize I'm a sinner and I've committed sins that nailed your son Jesus to a cross and I am sorry for those sins. And I invite you to live in my heart and from this day forward, I want to live for you. You do that mental exercise, that mental work to invite Christ in your heart. Then 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, that's our part, then his part is, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's his work. And no matter your sin, no matter what you've done, no matter your past, his work is more than enough to save you from your sins.